Um, so we are going to be finishing up the book of Mark today. Uh, so we're going to read the last uh, 11 verses. So we're in Mark chapter 16, verses 9 through 20. And the title of today's sermon is going to be, What Does It Mean to Believe? And Because we're, we're really going to uh, look at our text from that perspective today. What does it mean to believe? There's so many um, people who ask that question. I've wondered that question many, many times myself. And so we're going to really dig into that today and see uh, how we can um, uh, see God's truth in this and how we can see the path to uh, what it means to really believe. And uh, so if you guys would join me in praying, we're going to get started. Father, I thank you for your word. God, it is the light to our path. It is the rock that we stand upon. Um, it is how we can know you, how we can know your will, how we can know your mind. And God, uh, we want to know you. And you have planted that seed inside us, the, that desire to know you uh, ever since we were created. And so, God, I pray that as we look at your word, your everlasting, perfect word, God, that it would show us and reveal to us what you really care about, uh, who you are and what you've done for us, because we need you. Uh, we, we don't need religion. Uh, we don't need um, uh, healing even as much as we need you. We don't need external things and blessings as much as we need you. Uh, we were empty without you, lost without you, and uh, when we're distant from you, everything seems hazy, foggy, uh, weird, and uh, it's painful to, to live our lives away from you. And so, God, I pray that you would draw us near to you by your grace. Lord, we don't deserve it, but we need you. And so we ask today that you'd speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, what does it mean to believe? I hear this question all the time. Uh, you know, I, I hear it in from, from preachers. They say, just believe. Or I hear it from, you know, YouTube videos. Just, you gotta believe. You know, George Michael said, you gotta have faith. And there's obviously a really close relationship between believing and faith. Um, but what does this all mean to believe, to have faith? That really is a deep question, and it's an important question. Um, can I just say I believe, and that magically makes me a believer? Is that what it is? Is it like saying I'm a Broncos fan, and that automatically makes me awesome? Or saying I'm a Raiders fan and it automatically makes me a gangster? I, you know, I don't know if that's how it works or not. But just saying we believe can't be, you know, really, you know, the, the, the truth. That doesn't make us a believer. Just saying I believe. Is that really what God is looking for? Us to just repeat empty words? What does that really mean to believe? Um, well, James is an awesome book. And in the book of James, uh, he's also an awesome son. He's right there watching. And, uh, but in the book of James, uh, the, the disciple James, he really dug into this topic of what, do, what does it really look like to have faith? What is real faith versus what is fake faith? And the way he described it is faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. And so what James was doing is he was saying, um, he was describing and teaching us what kind of faith or what kind of believing is the kind that God is looking for, the kind that saves, the kind that, that we see here in our text about believing. What is really believing? You see, demons believe in God. Demons, all the wicked, evil spirits that rebelled, the angels that rebelled against God, they believe in God. In other words, they know God. They believe God exists, but they don't like him and they don't serve him. And James says this, you believe that there is one God? 
great, you do well, even the demons believe and tremble. So James teaches us there that that the demons believe they acknowledge that God exists, but this kind of faith means nothing for demons. They're not going to heaven. They're not being redeemed and saved. And the same thing happens with us. It doesn't matter if we believe there's a God, and we shouldn't really ask, do you believe there's a God? And someone says, yes, oh, well, then you're a believer. No, that's not what a believer is. And James goes on to describe what kind of faith saves, which is the faith that has something he calls works. Uh, We are going to call this relying upon faith, a faith that relies upon God, depends upon God. Uh, So we're going to we're going to look at a video right now uh, that's going to that's going to give us some more insight as we look at this. So I'm going to make it big on our screen here and then here we go. What does it mean to believe in God? Believing in God can mean different things, depending on how we use the word believe. Here are three examples. A doctor may say, I believe that these pills will help you. The word believe here stands for a conviction. The doctor has looked at the problem and is convinced that this prescription will help. A hiker may say, I believe the mountain guide when he says that it is two more hours to reach the top. Here, believing means trusting someone. The hiker trusts what the mountain guide says because he knows the way. A soccer player may say, I believe in my team. What he is saying is he can completely rely on his team. Three examples three different things. All of these three ways of believing can be found in religion as well, and there they mean the following. First, a man of faith believes that God exists. As we have seen with the doctor, belief here stands for a conviction, and this conviction can have different reasons. As we have already seen, a personal experience of God, an insight, or the witness of others. Second, as in the case of the hiker and the mountain guide, belief can signify a kind of trust. A man of faith trusts the message of those people who have passed the faith on to him. Is this trust justified? Well, it's like with mountain guides. When you see that a mountain guide knows how to handle his equipment and that he is knowledgeable about the way ahead, then you trust his judgment. Now, looking at the life of Jesus, the apostles and the saints, their message and preaching, their commitment and humility, then all of this makes their message rather trustworthy. Third, as a soccer player may believe in his team, a man of faith will believe in God. In this case, to believe means to rely on God and to entrust yourself completely to him. All three ways are ways of believing in God, but it is only the third that leads us to the core of what religious belief actually means, a living relationship with God. Therefore, when I say that I believe in God, I am not only saying that I believe in the existence of God or that I accept the message of Jesus and his apostles, but above all that, I entrust myself to God, that I rely on him and I know he is always with me. This is what it means to believe in God. So there you go. That's a a, a really simple and clear way to understand what it means to believe. There's three different aspects, just to summarize. The first belief was the conviction of truth, like a doctor believing the prescription would help. And that's just where we say God exists, okay? I believe that God exists. Now, could I do that and demons do that? Yes. So that's not saving faith as we would call saving faith or believing, right? 
The second way was trust, and this is trusting that that the message is true. Uh, and again, I can do that. Demons can believe the message of God and what God says is true. They know that he's true, uh, but it doesn't mean that they're saved or that they believe upon him or believe in him. Uh, it's that third way of relying upon him, uh, where we have a living relationship with God through believing in what Jesus said and did, that he is who he said he is, that he did what he said he did, and that belief is the real connection where we connect with God in the spirit. And God says no one can believe unless and no one can believe in that way unless it's born of the spirit. That's how we are born again is when we believe in God in the spirit. In this way we can connect with him where we depend upon what Jesus did in the physical world, but our spirit is depending upon him in the spiritual world. So it's interesting how those two things connect, the spiritual world and the physical world, and through our our, our being we can believe in what is true in the spiritual world. So uh, quick question for you, where are you uh, on that believing path, on that believing road? Are you just where it says, I believe in God, or yeah, I'm, I really believe God's message, I believe everything I hear at church is true, or <clears throat> have you come to the place in your life where you put your trust and rely upon Jesus and what he did and what he said? Where when when uh, something difficult happens, you, 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 you think about, you connect with Jesus in the Spirit, and, and you tell him, I'm going to trust you. And that's this living relationship that is so much deeper than just, I go to church, just, I am a believer in God, or I'm a believer in Jesus, but no, I actually depend upon him. I actually hope in him. That is my relationship with the Lord. Well, it's good to do the self-assessment and think about where you are with the Lord. All right, so our text today, uh, finishing up, uh, you're going to see why we've talked so much about believing as we read what we're going to read today. So starting in verse 9 of chapter 16 of Mark, finishing up the book of Mark today, Mark 16, 9. Now, when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he cast seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him, and they, as they mourned and wept. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. Okay, so Mary is our first character that we study this week, and we've seen every time that she's mentioned, she's at the feet of Jesus, she's somewhere close to Jesus, she's seeking Jesus. And now she gets to be the first one to see him alive. We have more details about that in another gospel where she thinks he's the gardener and all this. And, uh, but he finally says her name. But these two things, she sits with Jesus, then she sees him alive. She seeks Jesus, then she sees his living power and resurrection. These two things often go together. Um, if you sit at the feet of Jesus, like you are right now, you will see his truth in your life. You will see his life. The Bible says, if you seek him, you will find him. God says personally, as a promise, those who seek me will find me when they search for me with all their heart. That is his word. He will never break that promise. I promise you, he has kept that promise, and he will always keep that promise. But look at, okay, so Mary, she seeks him, she finds him. Easy, right? So what about the disciples? The disciples here, they are isolating themselves, okay? So they've had a bummer of a week. You know, their dear friend, their leader, their who they thought was their Messiah, has been murdered. And... The, the whole country seems to be up in, up in arms and, and being his friend is a dangerous, you know, occupation at this point in time. And his disciples have chosen to isolate themselves. Always a bad choice, isolating yourselves. Because what, what are they doing as they isolate themselves? They are focused on self. 
We have taught through this many times, this truth. Focusing on yourself is not the way of God. It is the way of man. Man-centered psychology gets you to focus on yourself, which actually deadens you to be able to hear God's truth and God's freedom that he offers you through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Think about that. The world wants you to focus on yourself. The world wants you to focus on your sadness and on your grief. The world wants you to focus on your problems. And this leads to depression. Always. It always leads to depression. Depression is caused in the root by focus on self. As opposed to being focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Being focused on him and seeking him is the way out. I know many dear brothers and sisters who struggle, have struggled with depression. I have struggled with depression. And I can testify that when I am depressed, when I feel down, I always am self-focused. My lens of focus is right on me, on how I'm feeling, what I'm experiencing, instead of on the eternal truths of Jesus Christ, on his word, on his faithfulness, on his love, on all of his perfect, wonderful attributes. I'm not saying that depression is not real. Depression is very real. These disciples are really struggling. They are sad. But God has every intention of breaking into your life with his glorious resurrection life. He has every intention of doing it. And here, Mary Magdalene brings a message of life and joy, and the disciples just ignore her. They weren't ready to receive it. They weren't, they weren't hopeful and, and thinking that it would be true. It says here they did not believe. They did not believe. She gives them good news, but they are so soaked in themselves that they can't absorb, absorb anything else. They're soaked in self-pity, and so they cannot receive the living water that is being offered to them. And I, we can apply this to our lives so richly. I know we go through tough times. I know we are challenged, and especially in this last couple, this last year, especially, there has been so many challenges, grief, and loss. The way Jesus has every intention of breaking into that sadness and sorrow with his resurrection life. We have a hope that does not disappoint. He has a plan for our future and our hope, and he has every intention of offering that and coming after us, meeting us where we are. He's going to get there. But when he gets there, are you going to be ready? Are you going to believe? Are you going to be ready to leave that sadness behind and take in your hand what he is offering you himself? He wants to give it. He's going to give it. But the disciples here, they're not ready. And, and it's sad that they do not believe yet. Um, when I'm self-focused, self-pity, I say things like this. God doesn't love me. Just look at the proof. Look at all these things that have happened to me. God doesn't love me. I say things like, he is against me. He is, he, he is not for me. He's against me. I, see, I, I, I think things and say things like, he has forgotten me. And that is the recipe for not only being self-focused, but being depressed. Because if your God hates you, or has forgotten you, or doesn't love you, you probably should be depressed, because you've chosen the wrong God. But we have a God who loves us, has not forgotten about us, and he is not against us. He is for us. He has promised these things. And if we will wait upon him and we seek him, you will see he will break through those things that you think are evidence for his uh, abandonment. But they're really not. 
he will show you that he's always been there. And at the end, he will say, he will look at you and he'll say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And I love you and I've always loved you. And we will see and we will understand. And we will understand that we have been so loved and his faithfulness was never in question. And he never would leave us or forsake us. So these disciples are self-focused. Mary trying to get a, a message across to them of God's gospel God's resurrection, his new life, but they can't hear it. So next we have verses 12 and 13 where he says, After that, he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. So Mark just zips right by this story. This story of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Uh, which Mark just skips right by it. And we're going to answer the question, why does Mark just kind of briefly mention it in a moment? But it's because Mark, uh, well, I'm not going to tell you yet. I'll tell you in just a minute. But I'm going to read you the full story just so we can have the context of what's going on here from Luke chapter 24, uh, starting in verse 13. It says, Now behold, two of them were traveling the same day to a village called Emmaus, which is seven miles from Jerusalem. And as they uh, and they talked together of all these things which had happened, so it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. So this is the resurrected Jesus. He's now alive. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. Verse 17, And he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? So again, Jesus breaking into their sadness. He understands that they're sad, but he wants to get in there. Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which are ha have happened there in these days? And he said, What things? And they said to him, So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, beside all, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body and came saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. All right, so they recount everything to Jesus. Then he said to them, now guys, listen closely to what Jesus says here. Oh, foolish ones. And slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to, to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So Jesus starts a verse-by-verse -verse Bible study, which is what we still do today. Whenever we study those Old Testament books, we're looking for Jesus. Whenever we study the New Testament, we're looking at Jesus. It's all about him, and he declares that right there. So then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, "'Abide with us, for it is toward evening.'" And the day is far spent, and he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did our hearts not burn within us while he talked with us on the road? And while he opened the scriptures to us, so they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And as they told about the things that happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Guys, think about that. These guys are all self-focused, but they meet Jesus. Jesus breaks in. 
And as they are having communion, the bread and the wine of communion, as they are drawing near to him and just letting him speak to their hearts, letting scriptures, Jesus is using scripture to speak to their hearts, what happens? The, the blindness is taken away. The sadness is instantly removed and replaced with joy and hope. Guys, the solution to our self-focused, self-sourced depression is always communion with Jesus Christ. Believing communion with Jesus Christ. Get alone with God. Open your Bible and you will find God will meet with you. God will draw near to you and God will touch your heart. These guys said it was like our hearts were burning. God does this because he desires a relationship with you. You can test me on this. You can test God on this. He loves you and he will speak to you if you draw near to Jesus Christ. It's so wonderful. It's so amazing that God would truly want to know you and have this kind of relationship with you. Oh man, it's so cool. Well, um, why does Mark skip it? Why does Mark not go into all this? Well, there's a couple theories on that. I think he just wants us to focus on that believing aspect. So in Mark's text, it just says that they did not believe them either. You know, Jesus did this, he went and appeared to two, they came back, and the disciples did not believe them either. And I think that's the focus that Mark has. Mark just has one last lesson to teach us. And his last lesson, as he ends his story about Jesus, is these his disciples didn't even believe. Are you going to believe? He's leaving that question out there. He's asking that question to you as he's concluding his book. Look at what happens in Mark chapter 16, verse 14 through 18. So our next verse here, later he appeared to the leaven as they sat at the table. So he appears to all his disciples and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart. Jesus says, guys, why is it so hard for you to believe in me? Because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. You know, it says he rebuked them. Maybe it sounded like what he said in, in Luke, where he said, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Now, when Jesus rebukes you, he's not doing it in anger, but he nonetheless will confront one thing in your life first and foremost, unbelief. Always. Jesus will point his sword at unbelief and say, this is not allowed. This does not go with my kingdom. I will fight against that. Notice, how often does Jesus rebuke sinners for sinning? I mean, he's upfront with them and he'll talk to them about it. But the main thing that he addresses in people's life is not their sin because he's already dealt with their sin. The main thing he addresses is unbelief. Jesus already has a plan to stop you from sinning. He, he, he's fine with that. He knows that he is perfectly capable of transforming your life so that sin, a lifestyle devoted to sin, is a thing of the past. How? Well, he knows that if he can pour his own life into you, that what will come out of you, what will bubble up out of you, is righteousness because he is righteous. And so sin is not his greatest problem, but he knows that the one thing that can stop that life transfer from happening is unbelief. And so Jesus will rebuke unbelief. He will address it and he will confront it and he will say, this guys is not okay. He said, you know, uh, he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe what he had done. Jesus is very clear about what he expects from us. He does not expect you to be perfect. He knows you are not perfect. He expects you to rely upon him, to depend upon him. That is the expectation. That is a life of faith. 
So many times we get it confused and we think a life of faith is a life that does all the right things. And we start to think of James and his encouragement that faith without works is dead. And so we focus on the works instead of understanding that what God is looking for is the real faith in his son, which produces many good works. But it's the life of his son coming out of us. It's the hand filling the empty glove of our life. If our life is that empty glove, his Holy Spirit is the hand that that animates and moves and gives power and wisdom and strength to our life. Jesus is very clear about what he expects from us to believe. Not the first kind of believe, where like a doctor, we just have confidence that we just believe in God. Not the second kind of believe, where uh, like uh, a hiker, we have confidence in the message of those who have gone before us. But the third kind of believe where we rely upon and place our hope in personally, Jesus himself. We depend upon him. And Jesus says here, it's foolish not to believe. It means stupid. And he says, it is slow of heart. It means it's a heart issue that you're not opening up your heart. You're not uh, quick to believe. So then he says to them, All right, guys, so go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So he's addressed the main problem that is in everybody's life, which is believe. Are you going to believe or not? And now he says, okay, so what's the plan now? And the plan now is to go preach the gospel to every creature. So what is the gospel? Very simply, Jesus came from heaven to earth. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for our sins, and he rose from the dead. All of that combined is what we call the gospel. Gospel is just a Greek word that means good news. This is the good news. God came down from heaven. He lived a perfect life. He he sacrificed that perfect life on the cross, and then he rose from the dead, showing that he his sacrifice was accepted by a holy God. He Not even death was able to hold on to him. And that is the good news of the gospel. Easy. So who have you shared the gospel with? God says, share it with every creature. It should be on our lips. Our priority is to share the gospel wherever we are with whoever we meet. Look for opportunities. Try to create opportunities to share the gospel. You might think, well, they've already heard it. Fine. God didn't say share it to only those who haven't heard it. He said share it with everybody. Just keep sharing it. Keep sharing the gospel. Pray for God's help. Now, he says share it with every creature. Does that mean we should share it with animals? I mean, if I go to Australia and I'm attacked by a bunch of kangaroos, do I start preaching the gospel to all the kangaroos? I don't know. But it may be good practice to share the gospel with your pets. Maybe. I don't know. I wish I had a pet kangaroo. That's about all I can say about that. But can a kangaroo jump higher than the Empire State Building? Of course he can. Buildings can't jump. So what will happen when we tell people about Jesus? What's going to happen? He says here in our text, He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Oh, that's what's going to happen. And then he says, all these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. And they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. All right. There's a lot there that we're going to dig into quickly. It says, we say, what will happen when we tell people the gospel? What happens when you share the gospel with someone is they now have the choice of what to believe in. They can now choose to believe in the gospel and escape condemnation. Or they can choose to reject the gospel and they receive the condemnation that comes with that. So Jesus is the only way to salvation and And Jesus says, you can offer me to anybody, and anybody who says yes to me will be saved. But if you reject it, there is no other second chance. There's no other way. There's no other religion or religious leader that offers any way to appease God. 
God is holy. None of the other religions take into account that he cannot accept anything that is not holy. Jesus is the only thing that has ever been holy as God is holy. And when he died on the cross, he offered us that same holiness. He offered us his righteousness. And he says, I can make you righteous. I can make you like me if you will believe, if you will rely upon me. Not just ex uh, believe that Jesus existed, not just believe that he was reliable, you know, dependable, that the message is true, but believing yourself in your heart, placing your faith upon him, asking him. I like the term ask when it comes to believe. Do you believe? Well, then have you asked Jesus to forgive you? If you believe he's there, great. You believe his message is true, great. Then have you asked? Faith without works is dead. You can't say you believe if you haven't asked him to forgive you. Take him at his word. Ask him, say, Lord, I believe that you are sufficient for me, that you can save me. You are the only one that can save me. So when you offer this gospel to anyone in the world, they now have the choice. They can choose to believe and be forgiven and saved, or they can choose to be condemned. You see, before they heard the gospel, they only had one choice, which isn't really a choice. If you only have one choice, that's no choice. Their only choice before was condemnation. They were God's enemy. They had no way to make that fixed, make it right with God because we're all sinners. So what you're doing is offering them another choice because of the great thing Jesus has done for us. So we are given a new choice by the gospel. Believe and follow him. That, that term, be baptized, there means you start doing what he does. You follow him. He says, once you believe, be baptized. Tell the whole world that you are mine and that your mission now is to tell everyone else to believe as you have believed. Then he says there's going to be these signs that prove God's power and work in the lives of those people who believe. So let me ask you guys this. Does it, is this just a special few people? No. These are things that God promises us. And he says, I, I'm with you. And that you will know that I'm with you. It says they will cast out demons. Okay? Now, if I were to poll 10 of you or 100 of you, I bet a majority of you could say, I have never cast out a demon, knowingly. But some have, and here's the thing. In our day and age, it, demon possession in this country is not very popular. It's not very open. Back before technology, before a lot of things that we have now, the strategy of the evil ones was to uh, scare and intimidate people. It's still this way in some parts of the world, such as Haiti. And so in Haiti, you have much more demon possession to deal with. Here in America, the strategy of Satan and his followers is materialism. He wants us to be focused on what we can uh, obtain, and that keeps us just as spiritually dead as following him uh, observantly. But uh, casting out demons is nonetheless something that is very real, and every single believer in Jesus Christ has the authority to cast out a demon. So if a demon is in the life of someone, you have the authority to tell that demon you must leave, okay? Now understand, this is spiritual warfare, and if you are living a life that is sinful, and, and uh, then the demon is probably just going to laugh at you. But if you're following Jesus Christ... He knows that you have the authority to cast him out, and he doesn't want to face whatever spiritual consequences there are for disobeying that authority. Very interesting things. We can, uh, you can email me if you would like to know more about that specific thing. The next sign that he mentions is new tongues. And if we think about tongues, we think back to the curse that God placed on the Tower of Babel where he confused everybody's languages. 
And what this means is that confusion is not going to be as big of an obstacle as it used to be. So God is reversing that curse by what Jesus has given us, what Jesus has done in our lives. At some times, God may give you the ability to speak another language. At other times, he may give you the ability to learn another language. All these things just means that God is not, his message of the gospel is not bound by languages, but we are going to take this message throughout all the world in any language that needs to be spoken or communicated with. All right. The next thing he says is you'll take up serpents and... Uh, uh, they're not going to bite you and kill you. And, and if you drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt you. Okay. Wow. Well, what does this talk about? Well, we could get into COVID and talking about that. What this does not mean is live your life recklessly. This does not mean you don't have to wear seatbelts. This does not mean you don't have to take precautions when it comes to sickness or snakes or poison. It is not okay to just handle poisonous snakes or spiders or any other of those poisonous animals and just flaunt this, okay? What it means is that when these things come against you, when it happens to you, you do not have to be afraid because God is in control and God will generally heal you because our next uh, phrase is, and they will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. So we do not have, as believers in Jesus Christ, we do not have to be afraid when these things happen to us. When these things happen to us, we do not need to fear. God's, we believe in God's plan, that God ordains things. And if God chooses me to suffer and die of a sickness, then I will do so with loving him and trusting him the whole way. But I can also have confidence that I can ask the elders of the church to come and pray for me. I can confess my sin to the Lord as he has told us when it comes to laying hands on people. We can, we can ask you know, God to heal them. We can ask them to confess their sins, make sure there's nothing in their way between them and God. And God says, I will heal you. Okay? These are his words. These are his promises and his signs. Okay? So here's our question. Does that mean God heals every sickness? Well, no. We see that there are times when people are still holding on to sin, secret sins and things like that. And so healing does not come because of that. We see times where God specifically chooses that it is time for this saint or that saint to go home and he will use their death as a, um, as a, as a message to the world, either of his grace or of his judgment, or he'll use it in a big way. It's a special thing, but it's not the normal thing. The normal thing is that God heals his people when they call upon him. And we can see that borne out in statistics. If you, if you go in and look at that, you'll see that when people pray, that, that God steps in most of the time to deliver them. And especially when people pray with you know, total humility and putting their trust in him. Okay, so does this mean don't use medicine? Absolutely not. We should use the medicine that God has given us as common grace, and, and it's very important for us to realize that. So I know I'm going to get several emails about this, and I'm fine with that. So please send your emails to Nathan Taylor at Gmail. No, just kidding. Um, you can email me, <laughs> Sean at whiteflagcalvary.org. Um, all right, so. Uh, these signs, he says, will follow those who believe. All right, so finishing up the book, we got the last couple verses. So then, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God, and they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. Why doesn't Jesus just fix everything right now? Why does Jesus allow the sicknesses to continue, the pandemics to continue, the evil, you know, governments to continue? Because God delights to use his people. Every single one of the bad things in this world is simply an opportunity for us to be the light of the world. He loves and wants to partner with you. Just like in the Garden of Eden, the Garden of Eden was a tangled, you know, uh, garden full of growth, but it needed to be formed. And that's why he made Adam and Eve gardeners in the garden. He wanted them to make something. What? I don't know. You get to decide what you want to make, what you want to do to make the world a better place. 
And here God says, in all of the world, he has chosen us to make the world a better place. Well, what do I do? Well, talk to him about it. Well, how do I get the resources? Well, Jesus just so happens to have said, pray and ask me for whatever you need and I'll provide it for you. Well, it's too hard to look around me and see what the world needs and so I'm just going to give up. Well, Jesus tells a couple parables about that as well. He says, you only get one life. You only get one day per day. You only get seven days in a week. And you get to choose how you're going to spend those days. Are we going to send them, spend those days for ourselves or are we going to spend them making the world a better place? Loving our family, pouring into our children, loving our spouses, loving our church family, and sharing the gospel with the world. And if you need anything to make any of those things happen, pray. Ask God. I know there's been many times I'm like, oh, it would be great if God did this. But I didn't really pray. I wasn't really convinced he would answer that prayer. And I wasn't really committed that I would do what I needed to do when he answered it. I wasn't ready. But now let's pray. Let's ask God. Let's look around and see what the world needs. And let's make a difference by loving them. All right, so... Um, I'm just going to pull out four specific phrases that we re- just read, and I'm just going to read them. Verse 11, they did not believe. Verse 13, they did not believe them either. Verse 14, he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe. Verse 15, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. In verse 17, all these signs will follow those who believed. You see, the disciples were not pre-programmed to believe. And neither am I, and neither are you. In fact, what we see is stubborn unbelief. Our unbelief is stubborn. And what I mean is I wake up every day unbelieving. Every day I need the gospel to be presented to me, and I need to believe the gospel daily. You need that. That's why spending time in his word and in his gospel is so vital for his children and true believers. Believing the gospel is not our default setting. We wake up every day not believing the gospel. Our default setting is always unbelief. That's why he says, wide is the path that leads to destruction. There are many who go that way, but narrow is the way that leads to life, and there are few who find it. So believing is the only thing that matters. And we need to ask ourselves daily, do I believe the gospel? Do I believe Jesus is alive? If I do, I'm going to come in boldly into his presence. I'm going to ask him for what I need this day. I'm going to depend upon him. I'm going to rely upon him. I'm not going to rely upon myself because that's not believing. Believing is relying upon, and that is what I'm going to do. And Jesus says it's a heart thing. He says it's a hardness of heart that they did not believe because of the hardness of their heart. So it's not a head thing. It it is not reason and evidence that keeps us from believing. It's an excuse that our hearts use when we choose not to believe. But reason and evidence is no reason to not believe. Because there's way more evidence if we actually sought it out. But it's also not an emotional thing. I don't feel like believing today, Ben, so I'm not going to believe. That's how 99% of us live our lives. I don't feel like God is reliable, so I'm not going to rely upon him. But he says it's a spiritual thing. We have to take a step in faith. I don't feel like it. I don't feel it or sense it. But God has declared his truth, and so I'm going to step forward to believe and rely upon. I'm going to act as though what Jesus said is true. So I'm going to act like I am forgiven. I'm going to act like I am accepted in God's presence. I'm going to act like God's going to answer my prayers, and I'm going to act like a believer. And that is how faith obtains works. All these disciples struggle to get there, but Jesus, he's so patient and kind, and he gets them there. He breaks in to their lives, and he gets it done. So the last thing we'll say is that Jesus, believing in Jesus hinges on him being alive, 
on the resurrection. Why? Because if Jesus is alive, then Jesus is who he said he was. He is God. He is the perfect sacrifice. He's the king of the world, the king of my heart, the Messiah. He is the Savior, and he is able to forgive all sins. All these things hinge on him being alive, not dead, alive. That's why it's so important. So, do you believe it? I did not say, do you understand it in your mind? I did not say, do you feel it in your emotions? I said, do you believe it? And what I mean is, do you rely upon it? Faith without works is dead. So have you asked Jesus for it? Have you asked him to forgive you? Have you asked him to make you alive in him? Do you rely upon it? We're going to conclude our time together in a uh, prayer and then in a video. So I'm actually going to end it with a video. You can all uh, tune in and watch. It's a, it's a supplemental video that's also on how to believe in Jesus. So I'm, we're, But we're going to end it right here and pray. Father, I thank you that you make believing so different than the world. You don't, you don't make it dependent upon us. You present us with truth and salvation and all the work is done. And Jesus, you say, simply come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give them rest. I will save all who call upon me from the heart. Those who seek me will find me when they search for me with all their heart. So God, I pray that with all our hearts, we would seek you. We would trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's watch this video and see how it works. Oh, one more. There we go. Today's question is, what does it mean to believe in Jesus? In this video, I'll answer that question from a biblical perspective. Then afterwards, as always, I'll share some helpful resources. So... Stick around until the end. Do you believe in Jesus? Seems like a strange question. It sounds like the same question as, do you believe in Santa Claus? Or, do you believe in aliens? But the question, do you believe in Jesus, is asking far more than, do you believe that Jesus Christ exists? The true meaning of the question is, do you believe Jesus Christ is who the Bible says he is? And are you trusting him as your savior? All right. Well, you guys can uh, look up that video on your own, I guess. Just type in gotquestions.org and go to what does it mean to believe in Jesus? All right. Well, there we go. That's our day. That's our study. And I love you guys. And we will see you very soon. Make sure you tune in next week to hear BK preach on what does it what does uh fear what does it mean to fear and be afraid and fear the lord and what to be afraid of and all kinds of stuff about fear talk to you later